Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they would be able to hear and receive your word. And God, help me to be able to communicate it in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, your word is awesome. Uh, it, is, it is life, man. It's, uh, wow. It's alive. It speaks to us. Lord, help us to receive it. Uh, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the same at home. Every time we turn around, it's like, woman, if you're talking to me, I did not understand a single word you said. You're going to have to speak up, you know. What'd you say? Huh? Okay. Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 6. Okay, it starts with point number six. And if you're asking yourself, why does it start with point number six? Well, you haven't been paying attention. I don't know what else to tell you. We finished with point number five last time in this section. And what we're looking at is the contrast still between the wise and the foolish and how they roll, what they do, and the consequences of their action. Uh, the godly and the wise end up enjoying God's favor while the wicked and the foolish make their own way and they get the results, they get the wages of their own actions. And so point number six, uh, verse number 24, we see the way of salvation, the way of life is how it's described here in verse 24. The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. So this verse in particular, but we've seen this consistently throughout our study in Proverbs. Proverbs lays out basically for you two paths, one to life, the other to hell. Proverbs 14, verse 32, the wicked is driven in the way of his wickedness, but the, but the righteous hath hope in his death. So here, the wise are invited to look up, right? The wise look up. That's where they find this way of life. So we need to look from heaven above, right? That's how we got born again, right? We're born again from Christ above. Have you read John chapter 3? See, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way. Well, okay, so where, did, where Jesus is the way, what from, what, from where did that way come to us? From where? Well, okay, Psalms 121 verse one, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. What am I doing? I'm looking up. And that's what Proverbs 15, uh, 24 is inviting us to do. I'm looking up because that's where my help is coming from. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. So that happened when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ at some point you were in the mire, in the pit of sin, and you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that lifted your eyes up. You trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came from above, and uh, in John chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven, and just like Moses lifted up the solution for salvation, so also Jesus must be lifted up. So every point of Christ in terms of him as being our, it's always looking up. Uh, that's how we come to, to saving faith. He that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So, you know, the, the way of life is above to the wise. Look to heaven for the Savior. It is interesting the way that he puts this here in John 3.13. He's come down from heaven and yet he is in heaven uh, because God is omnipresent. 
right? This is God in the flesh. He's still God, and, and God is everywhere. Uh, so that, that's uh, an interesting verse for the deity of Christ. Now, that's what you did at salvation, but that how you got saved, well, that's how you roll saved. The same thing would be true for the born-again believer. We should keep looking up, okay? You see that in Colossians chapter 3. So it's not just true for salvation, but also for the sanctified life. Colossians 3.1 says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are up. Those things which are above, right? The way of life is above. To the wise, if you're saved, be wise. Look above. There's a way that the believer is to live their life. So you're seeking those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of, uh, the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. So we're looking above to Christ for the life that he's called us to live. And so that whole chapter is about Christian living, living the life from above, the sanctified life. And we will keep bringing this up in Proverbs. We have to beware, okay? The wise look above. Why? Because, I mean, that he may depart from hell beneath, Okay, so the danger, the ever-present danger is you will go a way that seems right to you. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Uh, so there it is. You see it again, the same principle in verse 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Okay, so the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Why the house of the proud? Well, you remember what Jesus hates. What does God hate? We saw that in Proverbs chapter 6. He hates a proud look, right? He hates a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. So a, a, a person filled with pride is a problem for the Lord. And so verse 25 is saying that, that their life, right, the house of the proud, their life is going to end in destruction. Psalms 101 verse 5. It says, him that hath an high look and a proud heart, will I not suffer? So it's aggravating, you know, if you're full of pride, that just know, that's aggravating to the Lord. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to aggravate the Lord. It'd be better just for us to all just make the decision. We're going to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Amen? Like, I don't want to aggravate the Lord. <laughs> a high look and a proud heart, will I not suffer? So, so the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but... He protects, right? He protects the humble. Look at the rest of the verse. Here's the contrast. But he will establish the border of the widow. So borders are a big deal. Um, what God has sovereignly, sovereignly established in the life of his people, if somebody comes along, if somebody comes behind and messes with that, jacks that up, that's very offensive to the Lord. Deuteronomy 19, verse 14, God commands his people, thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. It's a big deal if you mess with the landmarks. If you try to move what God has allowed to be established in giving the land to his people, that's offensive to the Lord. Chapter 27, verse 17 says, Cursed be he that moveth his, labor, his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. <laughs> I mean, 
Uh, like everybody's gonna agree. If you move your neighbor's landmark, God says I curse you and everybody is in agreement on that. Okay, so if someone gets full of themselves and they move the borders, right? You move that landmark stone in a way that gives you an advantage, God sees it and it hacks them off. Uh, borders are a big deal, fences make good neighbors. I remember when I was a kid growing up, on a, so my family had a farm, it was 813 acres, I think, down in southwest Missouri. And so I grew up a hillbilly in the Ozark Mountains, uh, running through the Ozark Hills, uh, hunting, you know, doing the whole, the farming, all of that. Uh, every, all of that property, all of our neighbors, all of it was fenced, okay? Because everybody ran a few head of cattle. Uh, some of the neighbors would run some goats, that kind of thing. Uh, so we had cows, our neighbor had cows, and uh, we had a neighbor that hated the fence between our land and his. There was a dispute over where the fence went. So my dad had it surveyed twice and built the fence back on our property uh, several feet, actually several yards, had the fence built back so that the neighbor could not complain about the fence. Well, the neighbor said that the fence was always in the wrong spot. We got two surveys that says, yeah, it is in the wrong spot. It's back on our land. Uh, it, you know, the, the fence is appropriate. Uh, so what the neighbor would do is he'd keep cutting the fence. Now, it was interesting. Uh, we had a bull and he didn't. So do the math on that. Uh, that's saving him a lot of money if that fence isn't, you know, if he can just mix his herd with ours for just a little bit and then have to sort them out when the time. Okay, so, so I just remember being a little dude and um, the neighbor comes up the hill in November with four dudes in t-shirts, right? Everybody's in t-shirts. And my dad sees that and he says, take the groceries that we just got back from town. And he says, take the groceries into the house. Don't come out no matter what happens. I'm just a little kid, I don't know what any of this means, I'm clueless, so I help carry the groceries in, and a few minutes later, dad comes into the house, and there's this red welt on his eye, and he goes straight to the phone, and he calls the sheriff, and basically makes the comment, if anything happens to this fence, or if the neighbor ends up on our property, it's gonna be a bad day for, for you, but it's gonna be a really, really bad day for them. My father was not born again at this time. He was a lost man. <laughs> I got the rest of the story the next day. I get on the bus and it's like, oh, oh, Sammy Miles, your dad's going to jail. You're going to jail, he put skunk in the hospital. And so I heard the rest of the story the next day. So, so basically he's saying, you know, you're gonna take that fence down and my dad's saying, no, we're not. It's in the right place, you can take it to court. And, uh, and so the neighbor sicked skunk um, my dad. So skunk's probably a reference to body odor. That'd be my guess. I don't know. I, I, I never got that firsthand. But so skunk pops him in the eye. And then, you know, there's that guy that, that like goes berserker. Uh, that was my dad. So, so uh, you know, apparently he sick the dog on him the whole night. The guy went to the hospital. It was a bad deal. And, um, and all of that, like you think about it. I mean, just this is like... This is like in modern times. You got two neighbors going to war over a landmark, going to war over a barrier. Now, fast forward a few years, my dad gets saved. That would have changed the whole dynamic. You get what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not making a case for violence over 
uh, you and your neighbor's fence. I'm not, but my point being is it's a big deal. It's a very big deal to people. And people and nations have historically gone to war over where these fences, these boundaries go. It's a big deal. And it's a big deal from God's perspective. It's a very big deal. Okay, so why, why is it such a big deal? Well, God told you in Deuteronomy, uh, I'm in the setting of those boundaries. And then you come along and you wanna move them because you don't like where they are, you don't like the standard that they set up, and so you're just gonna come in and you're just gonna change it. God takes this abuse very seriously. This is the same thing that happens in churches today. Uh, we publish our statement of faith. Everybody that goes through the new members class, we want you to understand our statement of faith. Why? Because we're not negotiating on this. And you're not gonna come into this church and then decide after the fact you don't like who we are as a people, what we believe as a people, or what the mission that God's given to us as a people is, and so you're gonna change it. I got news for you. No, you're not. We had a gal that, that uh, uh, she, she came to, to this church and, and she went through the new members class and we went through the, the statement of faith and we're up front. Look, this, we may not be a fit for everyone. So you wanna make sure that the church that you attend, you, can, you, you may not be, you may not be a, a, a high-end theologian, okay? We, we don't have any of those here anyway, but we know what we believe and we know why we believe it, okay? Uh, you, you don't have to understand everything to the nth degree, but as a member here, you're gonna submit to the articles on this statement of faith because these are our non-negotiables. And so we walked through them all, they signed up, they joined the church, and, and then within just a couple of years, she was mad because she couldn't teach in Bible studies that the church was gonna go through the tribulation with her ESV Bible. And our position was, as we told you up front that this wasn't gonna happen, and now you're mad at us because we won't let you, we won't let you move the landmarks. Does this make sense? Um, like, how, like, forget about it. You're not going to do it. We know what we believe. We know why we believe it. We're willing to talk to anyone about anything. If there's something you don't understand, or if there's something that's confusing you, if there's something that you're working through, man, praise the Lord, do that. Okay? The last thing that we want to do is raise up a group of scared automatons that have to be worried about saying the right thing or, 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 or you know, you're like right in the core of right think at MBT. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to work through doc doctrinal issues. But I am just telling you, doctrinally, the landmarks are set. And we're not moving them for anyone. The mission, the vision, the direction of this church, it's set. We're not moving it for anyone. And so if you think you're gonna join us just to move us, to change those boundaries, to change those, those, those fences that we've, I mean, th that were handed down to us, we're holding to the tradition of the doctrine that was delivered to us. The things that were taught to us among many witnesses, that's what we're trusting God to faithfully hand down to the disciples that we're making. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? It's okay to have questions. It's okay to work through problems, but you're not moving our fence. Hello, somebody. Does that make sense? Uh, I, just, I, just wanna make, I just wanna take that time to make that very clear. 
uh, because people get very impressed that you know they're going to be the, the the individual that's going to morph MBT into some pop psychology. Never mind. Don't get me started. We're going to win souls, make disciples, and train and equip leaders. That's what we're going to do. And the things that are not negotiable in terms of what we're going to teach here, those are listed on our statement of faith. It's okay if you don't understand them, if you've got problems with them that you're working through, just understand you're not going to teach something different here. You are not moving our fences. Okay, so there we go. So God takes this abuse very seriously. In Hosea chapter five and verse 10, the princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. The bound is the boundary stone, right? The ancient landmark. Proverbs 22 verse eight, uh, 28, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Hold fast to the form of sound doctrine that was delivered to you. Proverbs 23, verse 10, remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless for their redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause with thee. The last thing you wanna do is get God's hackles up over your fence moving. Here's the best way to put it. Exodus 20, verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Don't be a thief. See, God's on the side of the weak and the helpless who are humble. He's gonna protect that widow's borders. Psalm 68, verse five, a father to the fatherless, or a father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. The Lord preserveth strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. Psalms 146, verse nine. And he claims vengeance for himself. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So here's the principle, you wanna get this down. The strong should protect the weak, not try to take advantage of them. Don't, don't seal, right, just because you can. The strong ought to be protecting the weak, not victimizing them. So here's an example, a great example for this verse would be Ahab. Ahab wanted property that wasn't his. He wanted Naboth's property and he didn't get it because Naboth says, I, what, I can't give up what God has given to me and my family for an inheritance, I can't do it. So he's whining to his Jezebel wife, who's literally Jezebel. And uh, he's whining about it and she's like, I got a solution for you. Uh, drum up false charges about it, get him killed and then you can just go take it. And while he's taking it, good old faithful Elijah the Tishbite shows up. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And that's exactly what happened to Ahab. Second Kings, or First Kings chapter 22. All right, point number seven, verse number 26. It talks about the way they think and the way they speak, how they think and speak. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Okay, so again, Proverbs 6, remember what was an abomination to the Lord. That'll give us a clue to the type of thinking that disgusts God. Six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, 
hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So whatever you're thinking about, uh, there's a clue in terms of what's disgusting, abominable to the Lord. So if you've got a proud, lying, divisive, right, divisive, tyrannical, wicked thought rolling, right, anything that's against God's word, just know God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and he knows what you're thinking. So how do you think? Again, notice the parallel here. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. So again, here's this principle that we keep seeing over and over again in Proverbs. What is it? Whatever's in you, inevitably that's what will come out of you. You know a tree by its fruit. You know the wicked versus the pure of heart, the pure of mind by how they talk. Uh, It's their language that reveals them for who they are. So someone that's always trying to introduce filth to you, wickedness to you, whether it's in stories, jokes, whatever, well, they do that because that's what's in them, because they're rolling wicked. Uh, That's the fruit of their tree, of their life. Luke 6, 45, again, we've had this cross-reference before on this principle. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So you gotta decide. This is uh, what Brian, this is the passage Brian was uh, referring us to earlier in the service. You just gotta decide that you're gonna think correctly. Well, how do I do that? Well, here it is, Philippians 4, verses eight and nine. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. So think about the right things of God's word and and the people that God's placed in your life to teach them to you, your discipler, your Bible study leader, your pastor, the people, who have a faith that you can follow, do that, right? Follow them. Those things do. And then what's the result? And the God of peace shall be with you. Uh, Just decide that, that you're gonna think correctly so that what comes out of your life will be biblically correct. Verse 27, how they respond to bribes. How they respond to bribes. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Well, that's a bummer for Christmas. And birthdays. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about bribery here. It's not just a present, a present that you get with no strings attached. This is, this is someone who is compromised because they want to get rich, so they'll receive money with strings very much attached. Proverbs 6.18 says, In heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Uh, you don't want to be in a place where you can, you, can, you can see a way to sell yourself, where you can see a way to give yourself over, give yourself up for financial gain. Bribery always puts you in a compromise because once it starts, it can't end. It can't end unless it comes out. Okay? You take one bribe and you're owned for life. Once a person gets you to sell yourself for money, 
they've got you. You say, well, I'll do you this one favor. No, you already took the bribe. Now that means all they gotta do is threaten to tell about the bribe that you did take. You'll take another bribe and you'll compromise even further. It's a slippery slope. You take one bribe and, and then you cannot move forward with integrity because you're beholden to bribes already. Once you take a bribe, you are owned lock, stock, I mean, where does it, it never stops, it never ends. People who take bribes, they're now stuck in compromise. Proverbs 19 verse six says, many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Don't fall for that, don't fall for easy money, don't fall for, don't fall for compromise business negotiations. I will give, you know, we'll do this deal, but here's what you're gonna get under the table, and the minute you do that, you're like, oh man, this guy's, he's looking out for me. He's taking care of me. He's such a good friend. No, he's not. He's using you. Don't fall for it. So this is why God's people are commanded against bribes. Exodus 23, verse eight, thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. So that's, that's Exodus 23, eight. Deuteronomy 16, 19 says, neither take a gift, don't rest judgment, don't respect persons, don't take a gift. Deuteronomy 16, 19. Why, for the gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Proverbs 17, 23, a wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. 29, 4, the king by judgment establish, establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts, right, he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Ecclesiastes 7, 7, surely oppression maketh a wise man mad and a gift destroyeth the heart. A lot of people will look at all these cross-references and say, you should never take a gift. You should never take a bribe. Uh, per pervert your judgment by taking money in order to make something happen for the briber, okay? But there's nothing that says you can't actually offer a bribe. Because if you can take it, there are Christians that believe this. If you can take advantage of someone, that's smart business. I would just challenge you to just meditate on Proverbs 17, 23. Just underline that one in your notes. Isn't that, isn't that speaking to you? Now, bribes, that's how wicked global powers today buy your legislators, uh, your people on Capitol Hill, uh, I'm just telling you, most of them are bought, locks, not all of them, I don't believe that, but, but many of them are bought, lock, stock, and barrel. Your typical representative does not represent you. They represent corporations and foreign governments. They, rep they represent those who enrich them and have compromising pictures of them in compromising situations. That's who they represent. You say, what are you talking about? Pay attention to the news. It's everywhere. Um, if you have a question, just catch me after church sometime and I'll, I'll give you some examples. So, okay, there it is. Now, here's an example of, 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 a, of a falling for bribery, not falling for bribery. It'd be Abraham himself. We're looking, we're at this point in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, what happened? Uh, Pharaoh, in this case, is giving him gifts because he wants his wife. Remember that? 
And how does he leave Egypt? Rich on Pharaoh's offers to him to get his favor because he wants what Abraham has, right? Uh, by the time we get to Genesis 14, after the battle, uh, after the battle of five kings, uh, Abram has wised up. And so when the king of Sodom says, take everything, Abraham doesn't fall for it. Why? Well, because if you remember how he leaves Genesis chapter 12, he's got Pharaoh's resources, but he's also got what? He's got trouble for his house. And that's exactly what the text tells us, right? He that is greedy of gain, troubleth his own house. I took money from Pharaoh, and with that came all of this headache. I got a pagan king rebuking me. My, my nephew now has a taste for Egyptian living, and uh, man, the Egyptian handmaid is eyeballing me. I don't know what that's about. We're gonna find out what that's about. So there it is. Uh, you know, Lot, he starts out choosing the plain of Sodom and he pitches his tent toward Sodom in chapter 13. By chapter 14, he's living in Sodom and later he's running Sodom in chapter 19. All of this between Lot and the Egyptian handmaid, he's, he's just generating trouble for his house. Verse 28, let's wrap it up here. What goes into their speech? The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. So the righteous, what they do is they think before they speak. They, they don't just rush to answer. They actually stop and they, they're okay with pregnant pauses in conversations. Why? Because they're thinking about how they're gonna answer or respond. They think before they speak because words matter. This is why they can rejoice. We saw it in verse 23. A man that hath joy by the answer of his mouth. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. So somebody that's always shooting off their mouth, the key word here is the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. He's not stopping to think before he, feet, before he speaks. He's just jamming his feet in his mouth. It pours out, right? It's a torrent. Proverbs 15, 2, the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And we saw this in verse two. We see it again. What's in them is what's coming out of them. Same cross-reference, Luke chapter six, verse 45. So what they do? The foolish vomit without thinking. They, they just vomit out a reply. Of, uh, they vomit out a, a response. And for them, right, because they're such a big deal in their own mind, they're so important, they'll spout off without thinking. They'll just pour out any answer over any topic. Nothing's off limits for them. And what do they say? You'll hear this a lot today. I'm just speaking my truth. I have to speak my truth. Well, if your truth isn't the truth, guess what? <laughs> your truth is a lie. But people, you, just listen to people. I'm, I, gotta, I have to speak my truth. I have to speak my truth. And what anybody, that's, anybody that says I have to speak my truth, what follows them, right, what follows in that conversation is nonsense. And it trends evil. I just wonder, when you stand before judgment, Right? When you stand before Almighty God in judgment, will you be sure to speak your truth to power then? I guarantee you, you won't. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, your truth, speaking your truth, I get what a lot of people mean by that. They say, I, guess I just have to give you my perspective. 
Well, that's what it is then. It's your perspective. Um, be honest about that. I have to speak. I got to be true to myself. I have to speak my truth. Is it true? At the end of the day, what do I want to speak? Again, I'll refer you back to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, think the right things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen? Okay, so we're out of time. We're going to dismiss. If something got you in the feels in terms of Proverbs 15, grab a prayer partner and just end with a season of prayer. Amen?